There's magic and wonders and mysteries in store A hero whose mission is to learn and explore He's daring and caring and oh so much more It's Brixby Bear Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I will be your host here as I uh, try to introduce you to some movies that I believe are out there and maybe need a little more spotlight, a little more focus, a little more love in the world. And our movie today is an especially interesting one. We'll be talking about Brigsby Bear, a movie, an independent movie that came out just last year from 2017. And... uh, This movie is breaking a lot of my rules here on Staff Picks. My general rule is I want these movies to be 10 to 15 years old. I want them to, you know, have developed a reputation so we kind of know where they're going to stand in the world. Brigsby Bear is one of those movies I saw last year. I was so enthralled by it and I fell in love with it so quickly. And it was only in theaters for like two weeks that I'm like, I'm going to do an episode of Staff Picks on this immediately because I know immediately this is the movie that needs more love in the world. So... Here we go. We'll be talking about Brigsby Bear, and I would like to uh, welcome my co-host to the show today. He's an old friend of mine named Ryan Lisman. He is a uh, actor out of Los Angeles. He is a playwright. He uh, does some acting. I believe he's out in Cambridge now, and a big-time movie fan, and an especially interesting guest because Ryan is someone who always disagrees with me. We all we agree on almost nothing. So this will be the first podcast that will kind of be like a Siskel and Ebert, where you're going to see hear some contention. So... I would like to introduce him to the show. Welcome, Ryan Lisman. Hello, thank you for having me. Are you excited to join me on my first ever argumentative episode of Staff Picks? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be a really interesting. There's a lot of juicy stuff to talk about, and you know, you know me that I love to debate. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think we're going to be debating much. I think I'm curious to see very much where our uh, – it sounds like we have a lot of similar – uh, loves for the film, and I'm very curious to see where it slightly diverts. And I think it sounds like we have somewhat different interpretations about what the film means, and I'm really excited to talk about it because that's my favorite thing about art is talking about the subjectivity. Every single person is going to come at the film with a completely different perspective based off of who they are, and that's what I love talking about. You know, I love talking about it because every conversation you have with each person about the same piece of art is going to be so different. Um, so I'm really curious to see how this conversation goes. Yeah, and Brigsby Bear is an especially perfect choice for our podcast because I've seen this movie three times now, and every single time I have a different interpretation on what it's about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's fascinating to see. And again, Ryan, he compiles movie uh, lists of movies that he loves, his favorite movies of all time. I do the same thing. We run very parallel courses, and there's almost no overlap in our list. Like There's stuff like right. Titanic, I think, that we both like. Are there yeah. any other movies you can think that are, we both love? Um, I mean, well, the thing is, is uh, with my list, I do tend to focus a little bit more on dramas. I'm really right now my real focus is uh, looking at films widely considered the best foreign and American. And you know, it's interesting because when I was, you know, in high school and before that, I did really enjoy comedies. And I, it's not that I don't; I still really do enjoy them. I think it's just, you know, there's such a limited time. I'm in grad school right now, so in terms of me getting to pick what movies to watch, I find myself, it's very hard for me to make a case to watch, you know, this comedy, you know, uh, stoner flick, even though it'd be fun when I could watch, uh, you know, the best films considered the absolute best of all time. So. 
I, I see a lot of movies that Mario writes about, and I, 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 I actually have a separate list <laughs> of uh, movies. It's called Movies to Watch When I Actually Have Time. And uh, so there's a bunch of comedies on there, some horror films, um, you know, some films outside the usual scope of what I watch. But yeah, no, so I mean, you know, but when there is a film that isn't, you know, necessarily quote unquote serious that I love, that means I really like it. That means it really subverts my uh, usual genre of choice. Now, would you call yourself a, a pretentious film snob? Because I know that's a word that I kind of tease you with. But I know, no. I mean, like, uh, how would you describe yourself as a movie lover? Because, like, I I have a very uh, eclectic taste in movies where I like stuff that's really good, but I like B-movies, like Attack of the <laughs> Fart Creatures and stuff like that, which would be nowhere near <laughs> on your list. So, like, how would you describe yourself as, a like, a movie fan? Well, I will say this, and this is really important, is I think that there are different when we're talking about okay there's the whole category of it's so bad it's good and don't get me wrong i love those i mean the room is so special to me that is on my favorite movies list i love that film and then i saw the disaster artist read the book and he loved it even more you know and and stuff by ed wood mm-hmm. uh you know i enjoy it i would say i don't necessarily call myself a pretentious film snob but then again i don't think that anyone who would be considered one would admit that they are one yeah, I mean, I think that you can look at it perhaps that way. I, I just, I truly, as I said, I look at it as, you know, you only have a certain amount of time to devote to watching films. And it's, I mean, it's almost infinite what films are out there. So, you know, oftentimes I do find myself really going for what is perceived as the best. And, you know, it, I wish I had the time. I need the, uh, what's the word, the motivation to have to watch more fun stuff, you know. Now, I will freely admit, you're the person, I mentioned this during my basketball podcast, that I have a couple of listeners who have said I should be choosing better, higher quality movies and not stuff like basketball. That was you, of course, right? I, I don't remember, no. Okay, well, I will say it is. <laughs> yes. Okay, sure. Okay, so anyway, yeah. So Ryan and I have varied, uh, very different tastes in what we watch in movies. And again, um, Brigsby Bear is one that absolutely intersects. We both loved this movie in fact i was the, was i the one who tipped you off to this one or did you discover it on your own oh no you 100 percent. i mean in fact i probably i you know i probably would not have seen it i think i would have seen it eventually but not certainly not the year it came out i mean no one was talking about it. in fact i don't know really anyone who's seen the film besides people yourself or other people that you've recommended it to i didn't see a single movie theater that it was playing at I mean, that's why it's important to talk about these films that, you know, certainly don't get a lot of love and don't get that attention. I mean, it's hard when you're not a major studio film that, uh, you know, is out there in across the country. It's, it's really hard to get your name out there mm-hmm. uh, to compete. This is absolutely the type of movie that needs podcasts like this and, you know, in reviews that they're going to need all the word of mouth they can get because it really was just this independent little movie starring a guy, Kyle Mooney, who's not really that well known. Like, do you... No, you're, are you familiar with Kyle from Saturday Night Live? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm a huge Saturday Night Live fan, so I'm very familiar with Kyle and Beck Bennett. And um, I mean, I know the writers of the movie and the directors are also on the writing staff of SNL. So uh, that was another reason I was interested in watching it. And you can feel, you can kind of feel the slight Kyle Moon. I'm sure we'll get into it, but Kyle Mooney and Beck Bennett kind of have their very specific. <laughs> niche of comedy which i mostly like it's very weird um i actually quite like it i tend to enjoy their sketches they they tend to be the sketches if you notice at the very end of the show yeah they're not mainstream 
<laughs> they're not, and, and sometimes they'll get cut for time, and then you have to watch them online. But no, so I knew who Kyle Mooney was, you know, pretty well. But I did want to say really quick is that another reason that was uh, motivating me to watch it is I use a film database website called Letterboxd, which I highly recommend to any film people. And even there, they were a lot of people were really raving about it. In fact, it has a pretty good rating, a 3.8 out of 5, which is pretty good. Huh. And yeah, so that was just further indication. I trust those people at Letterboxd for the most part. If you look at the reviews on there, I haven't seen a single bad review. I'll yeah. put it that way. And that, to me, really speaks to the – it seems like at the very least, regardless if you loved it or you liked it, people were emotionally affected by it, which to me is indicative of a really special film. Yeah. It seems like people either love it or they're confused by it. But yeah, yeah. like you said, I don't I don't see one person that flat out hated it. And I will, I will just say that – I'm a big Kyle Mooney fan, and again, we're going to, there's, this is a complicated podcast to get into this episode, because Brigsby Bear is one that, I want people to go into this one knowing nothing about it. Don't right. read about it, don't listen to it. There's a certain point in this episode, we're just going to flat out say, don't listen to the rest of this podcast, go see the movie first, because so much of it depends on you being surprised by it. It's, it's a movie that I came out of, like I, I know Kyle Mooney, Kyle Mooney makes the weirdest sketches on SNL. He's got this uh, this comedy group called, what, Good Neighbor, I believe they're called? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and they, he specializes in this almost like performance art, like almost like Andy Kaufman, Sasha Baron Cohen, like that kind of comedy where there's an underlying sweetness and gentleness and love in everything he does, but he, he, will, he loves to couch it in like the most cringy, awkward moments, like lack of social norms, and he just loves to straddle that line between awkward and cute, and then this movie... It goes for darkness. Then we have a darkness on top of it, which is like the darkest subplot you've ever seen in a movie. And it's just crazy how he bounces back be between all these three extremes. Is that something that jumps out to you as well? Like, I'd never seen the tone of this movie in any movie before. No, I definitely... Th and, and I think, actually, that's one of the biggest strengths, particularly with it being a modern movie. I mean, one of my complaints about modern cinema and one that a lot of other people share is the lack of originality um, it's tough making films or really art in general in 2018 because we've kind of almost run the gamut mm -hmm. in a lot of ways of what subjects to talk about and how to explore it. And, you know, un and also, unfortunately, audiences have become very formulaic about what they expect. So to see a film like Brigsby Bear that really, I mean, very, very unique um, in so many different ways and the way and also not only just in plot, but also the, the tone and also the, the choices that are made are very, I feel, uh, anti, you know, mainstream anti formula, mm -hmm. which to me was so refreshing. Um, really, really nice to see. It's such a breath, breath of fresh air when you see something like that. Yeah, and that is something you hear in a lot of uh, filmmakers nowadays that, you know, there's so much pressure on the movie has to be a hit, it has to appeal to everybody, that right. every movie is kind of watered down because it has to appeal to every single demographic, it has to hit all the quadrants, like that's the thing, they cannot, there won't be a lot of niche movies anymore because they just are not profitable and there's a lot of pressure that a movie has to be profitable. So yeah, Brigsby Bear, this independent movie that almost hits no quadrants, and that's what I love you know. about it. Like every time you think it's going to go in one direction, whoa, it goes in a different one. And it's like, it's fun just following it. And uh, I don't know. It's, again, I, we're going to talk about this when we get into the story, but let's just leave it at that. Is there anything else you want to say about it kind of before we get into Kyle Mooney and, and our uh, thoughts on going into this movie? Yeah, I will say that in regards to the quadrants, I would say the connecting demographic that it really shares is 
nerddom, you know, the nerd, the nerd culture, mm-hmm. I would say. Anyone who's ever really been obsessed with something, mm-hmm. which in my observation doesn't matter how, you know, quote unquote cool you are, how popular you are. Everyone has that one thing that they just know everything about, just in love with, can tell you everything about it. So I would say that in my personal opinion, I think that on on the surface, the movie does not necessarily appeal to a big demographic. But I think when you really get into it, uh, without spoiling anything, I really think that it really appeals to such a wide demographic of people. Yeah, it's one of those, it's not going to appeal to everybody, but the people it will appeal to, it will really appeal to you. Sure. Yeah, I would agree with that. And again, Ryan and I have a similar obsession. We're very strongly uh, related or interactive with the uh, online uh, fan base of the TV show Survivor to the point that I've like written so many thousands and thousands and thousands of words and articles over the years that like my name is kind of synonymous with certain types of Survivor writing. So like I know this world real well, someone who's really, really involved with a fan base. And that's that's really what this movie is about, about having a love for one thing. And really, that's I mean, that's your world. Like You're looking for someone else that has that love for this one thing. And it can be niche. It could be nerdy. But when you find it, man, you just take off and you become part of this little fan base. And that's really kind of the underlying without giving out too much of the story of Brigsby Bear. And I will say flat out, this is the trailers of this movie don't do it justice. They Oh no. Yeah, they focus on the fact it's about this kid watching a TV show named Brigsby Bear. <laughs> That's like five minutes of the movie. That's so when we get into the plot you'll understand why they do that because there's a reveal yeah, yeah. there's a reveal that they like to hide that they don't give away in any of the things. So anyway, we're gonna get into this for a little bit and we'll give about five or ten minutes and then I will flat out tell you turn this off don't listen to the rest of this run out and rent download stream whatever you can Brigsby Bear it's one that I just fell in love with I have recommended it to so many people almost every person to a man to a woman loves this movie that I've recommended it to and they're all like I've never seen a movie like that before right absolutely okay so to summarize so basically yeah kyle mooney a uh a seldom used cast member on saturday night live <laughs> not for everyone and again would you say like the andy kaufman the sasha baron cohen would you say those comparisons are, are fairly good you know in a way i think that there are some definitely some distinct differences i mean it's hard with those guys because they're so specific mm-hmm. um i don't know it's tough i feel like kyle I think, yeah, the cringiness, and certainly those two have it, but I feel that there is a real... I think the sweetness is what you capture, because I certainly... Andy Kaufman and Sasha Baron Cohen tend to play quite... Um, aggressive. Aggressive, villainous, uh, you know, taunting a lot, mm-hmm. uh, you know, getting into a lot of trouble kind of thing, and Kyle tends to... I think what he's best at, and I think what he actually highlights as an actor in this film, is playing the kind of unaware... Yeah kind of uh, sweetly unaware, kind of sheltered. Um, you know, he really doesn't mean to be cringy, but that's just, you know, who he is. And I, I truly, I mean, I don't, obviously I don't know the guy, but I get the sense that that is truly who he is to an extent. Yeah, I have heard that as well. Yeah, which is really nice. I really like that when an actor is able to bring a part of themselves to a character in a really uh, interesting way. So yeah, I would say that there are definitely is some overlap, but I mean it's it's definitely a uh, he has a very he has a very specific type of comedy. <laughs> yeah, a very unique voice. And the way 
the way I was just thinking about that when you were talking about that, like when Andy Kaufman first came out, he was sweet. That was his thing. And as mm -hmm. he kind of got more famous and more involved in Hollywood and became slicker, I've heard other people say the sweetness left his act. It became more aggressive, more antagonistic. And that's kind of what Sasha Baron Conan's thing is. His was been antagonistic almost right from the start. But yeah, Kyle right. doesn't do that, but he... He specializes, again, in this very niche type of humor where it's just, it's awkward. And the way, the way I can always think of it is, like, he likes to play characters that don't understand how the Earth works. Like, he's almost like an alien. Right, exactly. He, he loves this humor where he's just, he just will have interactions with people, but in a way that a normal human wouldn't have. And he just likes seeing the other person's reaction. And that is really the heart of this movie that that I think they wanted to find a movie where Kyle could basically play an alien trying to understand how Earth works. And they're like, well, let's find another way to do it where he's not an alien. Let's have someone who's just never been in the world before. So that's really, they kind of found a way around that, I think. Totally agree. I was going to say with uh, Kyle, I remember the first time watching him. I don't remember when he joined maybe four years ago, five years ago, uh, SNL. <laughs> he has this really weird thing. I don't know if you've, I mean, I'm sure you've noticed it, but um it seems like he has a really hard time with the cue cards. Hmm. I don't know if that's intentional. I have a feeling it might, but you know what I mean? Where he kind of, it looks like he's, you can see him trying to read the cue cards, mm -hmm. um, which uh, it's really weird. Um, and he, and he always looks like he's kind of squinting to read it. <laughs> um, and it produces this really odd effect. I, every time I see him in a sketch, it's just like, who the hell, who is this guy? <laughs> he's so weird. I mean, you know, and I've seen uh, a good more portion of the SNL seasons that I've never seen a performer that was so – I mean, there's been a lot of weird ones. I mean, you know. Yeah, he's just but unique. Never one, <laughs> yeah, because, you know, like I was just thinking about Will Ferrell was always weird and mm -hmm. very, you know, various other people are weird. You know, John Belushi, they're, they're just always wacky, but I don't, I don't get the sense that they're actually weird people. Mm -hmm. You know, they always had that coolness to them. You know, I feel like where you could go to the bar and they would be totally fine mm -hmm. socializing with you. With Kyle, I feel like he would be he would have a tough time. Yeah, I mean, Kyle, as a nerd myself, fellow nerd growing up, I see obviously a lot of that in Kyle. I'm sure he had an odd childhood with some odd uh, interests and hobbies. And yeah, the thing is, a performer on SNL, like Saturday Night Live is not really the best place for him because he doesn't go for the laugh. And I think that's the one thing that a lot of people kind of I've seen criticism of him on SNL. They're like, well, he's not funny. I'm like, well, he's not necessarily trying to be funny all the time. And that's the thing. Like, he's got this great character for anybody who wants a little more Kyle Mooney. Go look at some of his uh, work as a, a stand up comic named Bruce Chandling. And mm, yeah. yeah, Kyle plays the worst, most uncomfortable stand-up comic ever, <laughs> where the jokes will just bomb on purpose, and he will slowly go into a spiral of depression throughout the act as it gets worse and worse, and you start to learn more about his psyche and how tortured he is. And it's right. the weirdest little piece of performance art. And again, that's not really meant for SNL, but I don't know where it's really meant for. And again, that's the spirit of this movie. You're going to be caught off guard. You're going to be... You're not going to see where it's going. It's going to be insanely dark in some of these these storylines and plots, but it underlying it's so sweet. And this movie right. itself is just so uncynical. And that's the thing that really right. always jumps out at me. Like there's not a mean spirited person in this movie. There's not a villain there. It, there could be a villain based on the story, but they're not, they make them sweet and they make everything nice. And it's just, we're just not used to seeing characters in movies like that anymore. No, exactly. I think you really touched on and how unique it is to not have an antagonist. That is incredibly rare again, because of the, formula audiences really like audiences i i mean i don't agree with this i actually think that this is something the producers really of hollywood really try and 
put into the system of they think that audiences need to be spoon fed. Who's the protagonist? Who's the antagonist? What are their objectives? What's the plot? You know, they, there needs to be a very clear beginning, middle, end. And, you know, no, they don't need that. Audiences are – my experience is that audiences tend to be a lot smarter than you give them credit for. You know, they'll they'll put the pieces together, and also they're going to have opinions about it. And I think what's really cool about this film is it really does allow a lot of subjectivity, um, as I mentioned. And that's that to me is really important because when you're able as an audience member to form your own subjective opinion about a piece of art, you have such a greater connection to it. Because in a way, it feels very personal to you that perhaps a film that is more uh, spoon-feeding you the objective uh, stuff, it's not as, I don't know, it just doesn't feel as personal. Yeah, and again, like I said, I've seen this movie three times now, and I am totally have dif totally different opinions every time. Is it a happy story? Is it sad? Is it tragic? Is it pathetic? Is it amazing? Like, I'm not entirely sure, and I'm sure you and I, I may change my opinion two times during this podcast. I, I've seen it twice now. I watched it. Watched, I rewatched it recently. Actually, really quick, uh, is I the first time I watched it actually was on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, coming, I think coming, yeah, coming here to Cambridge, Massachusetts from LA. It's a six-hour flight, and I almost never watch movies on the plane because the audio sucks. Uh, turns out the audio was pretty good here, and I, you know, I was like, okay, this could be a fun film to watch, <laughs> uh, based off of Mario's recommendation. And I will say this that without, I won't spoil anything. But um, I was crying pretty hardcore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's – I mean I'm all by myself on this plane in the middle seat with two people next to me, and they're wondering why the hell <laughs> is this guy crying, you know. Um, so, And I was not I was not expecting to cry at all based off the trailer and other stuff I've heard. So, you know, I mean that's a, that's a great thing. As you said, when you come in with an expectation, then you just get – you know, you get something completely different. It's awesome. Yeah, you get waylaid by this one. So again, I think this is about the time we're going to tell people to stop listening to this if you plan to watch this movie. It, I, I because I feel like I will hurt. Like I will not. I will do this movie an injustice by giving it away for you. And you need to experience this one. And again, I walked into it with no expectations, and I know Kyle Mooney, so I kind of know what we're, what I'm going to get. And this movie really hit me up the side the, outside the head. I'm like, wow. But, we, okay, before we send you off, I will say, what what are some comps to this movie? There's a couple comparisons I've heard people make to it. Um, it's uh, kind of like the Truman Show I've heard. It's kind of sure. like the movie Room. Yeah, the one, the only thing that really, I mean, yeah, those two are, I think, good, quite different. I mean, but I think the only one that I can even come close to uh, comparing it to would be Being There mm -hmm. by Hal Ashby with Peter Sellers, um, where... I'm not going to spoil that movie, but the plot of that one is Peter Sellers plays a man who has lived inside of a mansion his entire life. He's about, you know, 50, 60 years old, and he um, has to go out into the world, and he has been raised on television. So all he knows about life is, is via television. Mm -hmm. And I won't, you know, so that's really the only comparison. I, the characters, in a way, are a little bit similar, and there's kind of a similar theme about when all you know of the world is one thing. Mm -hmm. There's that. Um, but yeah, even then, very different tone. Being there is a lot more dramatic, I would say. Um, I know a couple people have mentioned it's like the TV show The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I have not personally seen that show, but I know it's very similar from what I've heard. It sounds just like the same theme. Um, another movie that I'm looking at my list here, uh, it's kind of Napoleon Dynamite-ish in a way, in that it's 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 kind of whimsical and it doesn't really 
mm-hmm. fit in the world of reality in certain ways. It's kind of that. With, and uh, this is my favorite description that people will like this one. My wife described it the first time she saw it. It's like if Garth from Wayne's World made his own movie. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I see that. Okay, so we're going to send you guys off here. It's really it's about a, a kid who loves a TV show. He It's all he knows. Brigsby Bear, this is his whole life, his whole universe. It's about to get ripped away from him, and he will have to adjust to the real world. And that's all I'm going to say. So if you don't want to know any spoilers, just turn this off right now. Go watch this movie. I cannot recommend it enough. Right, Sounds right. good. Yeah, now we're going to get to the fun stuff. So we'll, we'll walk through the plot of the movie here, and this is, only again, only for people who have seen it or – people who do not heed my awesome advice so uh, <laughs> you have no one to blame but yourself at this point right okay so we start it's uh this kid kyle mooney and again i call him a kid but he's like what 30 years old he's balding I think so, yeah. he's starting to bald he's got glasses like he acts like a little kid but he's just this kid who lives in like a bunker like he lives in this this uh underground almost and it's it's hilarious the uh the parallels here because he lives in this bunker, which is very much like Star Wars. It's kind of like Luke in New Hope. Luke trapped in this bunker, and all he has is this little right. life. In his little... And it's hilarious because uh, Kyle's dad is played by Mark Hamill, Luke himself, which this movie's got so many little fun meta jokes in it. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of the opening scenes. What What do you recall from these opening scenes that really jump out to you? Uh, well, I just remember, you know, again, watching on the plane and seeing, you know, this opening bunker. I Again, I, I knew nothing about this film. I did not watch any trailers about it. Um, only just what you said, and that's it. I had no idea. So, you know, I see this opening bunker. Um, very, whoa, it's like, damn, I didn't know <laughs> this would be part of it. Um, you know, and you see immediately – oh, no, I think it actually – I could. yes, I believe it opens with uh, – Watching from Brigsby Bear. Yeah, yeah, he's old... watching an episode. You don't. I don't think you even know that he's watching an episode. I think it actually. You don't see the outline of the TV or anything. It's just the episode itself. Yeah. Um, it's this old, and... old crappy '80s TV show. It's like on a VHS <laughs> right. tape. Right. It's all grainy. You know. It's and it's totally like you know the tip. You know. I mean, I wasn't alive during the '80s, but from what I've seen of those, you know, shitty '80s campy cartoon shows um and there's a really you know there's an educational component which i always love because <laughs> the uh the moral of the stories tend to be so obvious <laughs> you know what i mean like if you don't know that not to do that you know you, you have problems but I, um, yeah, I will say as someone who grew up in the 80s yes we had shitty 80s cartoons just like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah 90s we i feel like in the 90s they kind of learned that those were kids don't actually want those <laughs> i don't know i could be wrong there i just didn't watch them at the least but, uh, yeah, so you come onto that and you clearly get the sense that uh, James, who's Kyle Mooney's character, uh, this is his life. He has posters. He has paraphernalia. His bedsheets are Brigsby Bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes onto a message board. Yeah. Um, uh, talking to the fans about the episode. <laughs> yeah, after he every has... episode. Every episode he yeah. will watch, and then he has to go right to the internet to chat with all his friends about the latest episode of Brigsby, which, again, anybody who's been in a nerd fandom knows that's how it works. Exactly. But actually, I, I think, if, if I recall, I could be wrong. I think he's actually re-watching episodes. Oh, yeah. No, these he clearly does not watch these the first, just one time. Yeah, yeah. So at the the opening the opening scene is him. Uh, he re he's rewatching an episode, and then you know he's watching an episode from five ten years ago. He's <laughs> going through the entire canon of Brigsby Bear. Uh, he's so excited to talk about it. Uh, you clearly get the sense from his parents that there is something 
going on. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, what jumps out at me is that you have no idea when you first watch this movie what time period this is set in. Mm, like, yeah. he's watching these old 80s VHS tapes of some fictional Brigsby Bear show. Clearly, 80s tapes. I mean, no no expense was spared in making them look as crappy and grainy as possible. <laughs> and then, and like, they live in a bunker, and they have to wear gas masks to go outside, and they do this weird handshake. Like, it look, it's like a future movie. Like, it's post-apocalyptic. Like, right. what time period and where is this set? We have no yeah. idea. It's like, it's his own little universe they're creating right off the bat. And all James has in his life is this Brigsby show. It's got the title, the, the titular hero, Brigsby Bear, the the Smile Sisters, his little sidekicks, like the uh, the villain Sun Snatcher. And there's all this mythology and quotes and, and terminology that he uses. Like, what the hell movie? Where are we? Yeah, no, I, I exactly. I had no idea. Yeah, my first thought was post-apocalyptic but the only thing that was kept uh safe was the brigsby bear tapes <laughs> uh, like everything else got burned or something like that in the apocalypse but brigsby bear made it out that's that was my first thought yeah and the, um yeah and yeah, in, in the in the episodes themselves they're hilarious because i mean there's a lot of sly humor in these episodes but it's funny because in the tv episodes brigsby is like teaching life lessons he's doing teaching you math he's teaching you life skills and at the end at the end of every episode there's like a little parable like a little gi joe life lesson and i think in the first one we see is remember a prophecy is meaningless trust only your familial unit and then discard <laughs> yeah, which... food rations in the yellow bin not the red yeah <laughs> which no kid would understand oh yeah there's another one later. It's kind of subtle. You only catch it in a rear, in a, in a uh, cutaway shot when the it, the Brigsby is being broadcast to the rest of the world. There's one, and I, I got to get the wording of this one correctly because it's so perfect. It says uh, Brigsby's life lesson at the end of the episode is: Remember, if you're feeling romantic emotions, only touch your penis twice a day. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> it's a, right. Yeah, that's the dark humor, and then. Again, we're about to learn why there's all these little lessons in these episodes. And I, I forgot the other thing is that what is this? There's this math equation that Brigsby's trying to solve that apparently has been going on for 700 episodes, and James has been trying mm -hmm. to solve it his whole life. It's like the Van Smythe conjecture they're trying to learn. Brigsby's trying to teach mm -hmm. kids. So there's like schooling and all sorts of goofy stuff. And so, yeah, so that's that's James's life is watching Brigsby, discussing it with his parents, discussing theories on Brigsby. He's got charts and graphs and a universe that. That he and, he and the internet uh, internet community, so it's all this weird stuff. And then there's a scene where the dad, Mark Hamill, basically says, "Want to go for a walk one day?" And they put on their gas masks and they go up to this place called the what is it, the pier? And they're looking outside at all these animals, and the animals are all clearly animatronic. They're like little robots or animatronic, like Pirates of the Caribbean animals. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what the hell? Where are we in this movie? <laughs> yeah, so weird. <laughs> it's just the effort put into you know, in, into creating this illusion is so elaborate. Yeah, it's like a cult. Yeah. They're like a little cult in the pan. There's all this elaborate subterfuge set up to fool James into thinking this is his reality, and you're not going to get for about 10 more minutes why it's set up like this and how dark this movie really is. Right. I mean, I, you know, I was re really thinking that we would be stuck in this uh, bunker for the entire movie, and I was actually okay with that. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I was – I mean, I knew eventually they would get out, but I <laughs> – I again, I, I really thought that it could just be that, and that was interesting. I mean, this is unique. Yeah, that's a good uh, movie right here. But this is not the movie we're gonna get. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, what I love, they have again, it's like a cult. They have a little handshake and a little ritual they do before dinner, where they stand up. May our minds be stronger tomorrow, and they do this little handshake. So, anyway, this is James's life, and there's a a neat little scene where the dad, Mark Hamill, pulls him aside and says, you know, uh, 
uh, uh, James says to his dad, uh, there's other people out there like us, right? There's other people that like Brigsby. Like, we're a community. It means something. And the dad has a very nice lesson for him. He says, remember, James, we have imaginations to help us escape. No one can ever take that away from you, ever. Mm-hmm. And then just like that, everyone's about to get arrested. Right. <laughs> Here's the twist. I will let Ryan explain this one that I, you never see coming. They don't give it away in the previews. And this is what oh. makes this movie unique, where... James goes outside one night with his little gas mask to stare at the gunner foxes, which is the animatronic foxes, and all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. Well, what's interesting, what is so interesting about it is um, he goes out to the roof, which I think he's not allowed to do by himself. I could be mistaken. Yeah, he's breaking um, his, the one rule here. Yeah, he's don't bre- go outside. Right. And so there's this real sense of mystery, and I, you know, the first thing you think of, oh, he's going to escape. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going to try something. And, you know, so it's a really awesome tracking shot. You know, we're wondering what's going to happen. Definitely, I was clued in that something was going to happen. Uh, I just didn't know what. And then all of a sudden, you hear the police sirens. Things instantly go crazy. Um, You know, James is, you know, he's apprehended. Uh, His parents are apprehended. Uh, His parents only get to say a couple words to him. Just, you know, saying, I love you. There's a full-on SWAT team raid. The SWAT team is raiding their bunker. Oh, yeah. I mean, this has been an investigation for a very, very long time. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think it's revealed that how they actually found out about uh, where they were is they finally, uh, you know, because, well, I guess, yeah, we're talking the spoiler version, right? So yes. we can. You can give it all away, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting twist how they, the only way they were able to track it was uh, when Mark Hamill's character, the dad, would go, uh, you know, film the TV show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which. He was really trying to keep a secret, and then finally it got thing. But I, yeah, I love that there's a, a SWAT team. It's a huge deal, you know? This baby yeah. has been missing for 30 years. Yeah, here's the big picture. The big picture is this couple, uh, what are their names? Oh, I forgot to write down their names. April and Ted. April and Ted. Ted and April are criminals. They kidnapped a baby 30 years ago from the maternity ward. They brought him to this bunker. He's been living in isolation, basically in a little cult, for 30 years out here in the desert. And they have basically created their own little reality for him where he's grown up being a prisoner. And it's, it's yeah, they, he's a stolen baby. This is a mod, it's set in modern times. And his entire universe has been created by his fake parents, Mark Hamill, and uh, I forget the actress for the wife. But uh, yeah, so they've created this TV show to teach him, to educate him, to teach him life lessons, to teach him to only touch his penis twice a day, all the important <laughs> stuff. And, in, and then, like the, the internet, all the people he's been talking to about Brigsby Bear, those are his, his fake parents on an internal intranet, just pretending to be his friends. He knows nothing about the real world. All he knows is living in, in this bunker, and they've been told him, and it's even said that, well, the air is poison outside. Don't go out. You could catch uh, skinser disease or something. So he's terrified. The cops have come in and saved him, and this is a wonderful story for the rest of the world. And for poor James, it's terrifying. He thinks he's been abducted oh, yeah. by a SWAT team. He thinks he's going out into the poison air. And, like, his whole world is about to be dropped upside down to the point that he has he's about to have no idea what reality is. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's really I think it's really well shot. I mean, the terror that James has even going outside, mm-hmm. um, you know, and he's in the police car and they want to roll down the windows. and He's begging them not to not to roll down the windows. Yeah, because he thinks he's going to. Yeah, he thinks he's going to get skinster. He's going to die. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just it's really is it does a really good job of putting you into his perspective. I mean, about how terrifying 
It yes. is to be in a world that you, I mean, to even go outside. Yeah, he thinks he terrifying. was just stolen from his family. He has no idea what the bigger picture is. And again, I will say that these these guys that are these performance artists like uh, like uh, Kaufman and Sasha Baracone and, 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 and Mooney, these guys are fantastic actors and they kind of have to be. That's the only way you can pull off her performance art is by not breaking character. You have to really be able to invest in a character. And Mooney really sells these early scenes especially well. Like, he's a mm -hmm. fantastic actor, and that's why I don't think he's going to be on SNL much longer, because he's he's far too talented to just be niched into just comedy. Like, the drama scenes, he really plays well here, and he gets thrown into this uh, police interrogation room, and he thinks he's a prisoner. He has no idea that he's been rescued, that he was the good guy in all this. He just thinks that he's been stolen away, and, and there's a great line here where the police detective's like, do you know why you're here? And James is like, is it because I uh, threw a rock at a gunner fox one time? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he's just he's so <laughs> earnest and so sincere in the way he delivers these lines. He doesn't really get the big picture. And so, yeah, the uh, the uh, detective's trying to explain what happened to him without flat out saying, you know, everything you know is wrong. Your parents are horrible criminals who abducted you from a maternity ward. And there's, this is my personal favorite line in the movie where... <laughs> I know you're going to laugh before I finish this one. And again, the, the awkward, dark humor in this movie is something you have to see to believe, where the detective is like, uh, uh, did they ever uh, touch you? <laughs> and James just kind of lowers his head. He's like, yeah. And the detective's nodding his head like, I know, I know, you can, you can, you can trust me, son. And James is like, sometimes they did this. And he reaches out and he like does a little handshake. Yeah. He's like, sometimes they, they would do this and touch my hand. And they'd say... <laughs> great job in your studies james we love you <laughs> and the whole scene is played so straight and you don't know where to, where to laugh at that or just don't go my oh my god they went for the touching the the kid joke i love it no it's just i i just love the earnest humor because as you said i think what it does as an audience member is as a viewer it really it creates this dichotomous reaction, as you said, of you want to laugh, you want to cringe. It's so awkward. You can feel your body tensing up because of how uncomfortable it is. <laughs> yeah. Yet, you know, it. I just, I, I think that dark comedy like that is so effective because it does so many interesting things to your body. You know, it just really it makes you feel all weird, and I, I love it. I was gonna say it's one yeah. of those jokes that makes your sphincter pucker up. Like, ah, sure. you should be laughing at that one. Oh God, yeah, you know. <laughs> And I and I love in that scene. The I, in general, I love during this whole section, the uh, police officer and the whole team's faces. Whenever <laughs> he says this awkward thing, like what the hell? <laughs> and there's a great, great blunt joke. And this is every single review I've read of Brigsby points out this joke, just how stupid it is, but it works. Where mm -hmm. where uh, the detective looks at his shirt and he tells James, "Well, what's that?" And James just kind of gets this look on his face like, how could you not know what that is? And James is like, yeah, it's Brigsby. And you pan down and the shirt literally just has Brigsby with the caption, it's Brigsby under it. So like he literally just spells <laughs> out the caption of his shirt. <laughs> yeah. It always makes me laugh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, so James is introduced to this new world where he's given a Coke for the first time. He's never had one before. He's he's confused why there's no gunner foxes out here, why nobody has skin sir from all the poison gas. And then he meets his real parents, the ones he was abducted from 30 years ago, and he has no clue who these people are. Like, they're just strangers to him. He gets to meet his sister, Aubrey, 
And yeah, it's, there's a, a scene where uh, James comes out of the police station and like there's this horde of media. All these reporters want to come talk to him and like they're interviewing him. And because, again, this is if you theoretically think about it, this was the biggest news story in America at the time. This kid got right. found. And so they're pointing uh, microphones at him. And, and there's a, just a little subtle thing that I love that, that James doesn't know how a microphone works. Like, so he kind of pushes it down and starts talking to the reporter as if he's, like, speaking conspiratorial to her. Like, well, I, I don't know where I am. I'm looking for Briggs. Like, he doesn't really get how a microphone works. He, he knows he has no concept how anything in the world works. And this is where his mind is spinning. And he's like, the only thing that makes sense to him at this point is Briggsby. He's like, I don't get this world. I don't get these people. Everything you told me is wrong. And he'll go back to his house. And he's like, well... Well, yeah, this is this is nice and all, but I really just want the next the new Brigsby tape. Can you guys get me the new Brigsby tape? And this is where <laughs> it gets a little complicated, right? Yeah, I mean, his parents are just. I mean, it's really again with the dichotomous reaction. I mean, you feel for his parents. Yeah. I mean, just putting yourself in their shoes. I mean, your your baby son that has been gone for thirty years has come back. Um, yeah, but I he mean, has no idea who they are. Right, and but like from the parents' perspective, thinking about. Uh, they have such a chip on their shoulders. They have such a responsibility mm -hmm. to rehabilitate him. Um, and they have no idea how to do it because they just simply don't know who Brigsby is. Well, they don't know who he is, and he doesn't know who they right, are. They don't, yeah. And again, yeah. none of this is played as a comedy. This is all played right. like a drama at this point, completely straight. And I will say the, the parents, his, his parents do a, a fantastic job. In particular, I like the dad, but the mom, her name is uh, Michaela Watkins. She used to be on mm -hmm. SNL. And there's a, just right. her little reactions to the things that James says are so odd and funny. Like there's one point where the, the he, James comes home and their family dog jumps up on him. And, and James has never seen a dog before. And, he's <laughs> like, ah, ah, ah. and then they explain, well, this is a dog. This is our family pet. And James is like, well, it's a lot bigger than a gunner fox. And I just love Michaela Watkins. She's like, Huh. <laughs> How do you respond to the Gunner Fox comment? Right. Well, I love – in general with the parents, I love they're trying so hard. I mean they really are putting their best effort into rehabilitating him. Again, they just – you know, I really think they do the best job for the most part yeah. that they could considering the crazy circumstances. Um, and they're, I mean, yeah, it's as you said, it's literally like an alien just came – our alien son – came in back into our house and we don't know how to talk to him yeah and it's funny they, they pull out this whole list this is again this is something that would probably happen in real life that the parents have this list of all the things they do when they meet their baby son all the fun things he never oh, got to experience yeah. and they're gonna we're gonna go fish and we're gonna do like swimming and and they play land and sea activities and, and again james is like um i just want to watch the new brigsby tape because that's yeah. all he knows and they're like what the fuck is brigsby i don't know what that is and he's like well you know we get one in our mail drop every day and i just would really like to see it and he kind of and they're like, uh, we don't get that show. And he kind of smirks like, yeah, right. Nobody like you don't get that show. Everyone gets that show. And this is going to be the <laughs> the issue in this whole movie is that and this is where Ryan and I differ on this movie. I'll kind of spoil that. Like, that by the end of the movie, Ryan thinks that that or you've told me that you think James's life will have changed. He's going to have all these friends and he has an amazing new life. Oh, yeah. adjusting. And my argument is he has not adjusted one iota. He's still exactly the same character by the end and he's never going to adjust and all he cares about is Brigsby so it's kind of sad he never has the capability to adapt beyond well let's do Brigsby mm. stuff so it, it'll be interesting as we talk about it but yeah so let's uh, let's I, what's interesting let's actually cap this conversation towards the end but okay. it's the part I'm most excited to talk about but I have a I have an interesting um, perspective on that so yeah okay. let's, we'll give we'll give the uh, we'll give the listeners something to look forward to 
All right, so what happens here is the parents, well, if you want to watch a TV show, you know, we have other stuff instead. So they, they pull him over to the VCR and they start showing him other things. And James, his mind is blown. He's like, there's other shows? Like, he has no idea that there was the capability that other shows could be produced. And again, we're kind of glossing over the fact that that Brigsby was created by his abductee father. His Like, uh, uh, Mark Hamill's character was a famous toy inventor who abducted a kid, and that's how he was able to put together this amazing show with this mythology and all these voices and sound effects. So, like, he's he's amazed that there's other shows. And I think what happens here is uh, we go to a movie, right, for the first time? Yeah, that's right. What, what movie did they – I totally forgot. What movie did they see? This is one of more of my movie than yours, but they go to see Hockey High. Oh, I remember. Yes, yeah. yes. And, yeah. It's, and it's one of those horrible movies, right? No, it's one of those amazing movies, Ryan. Well, okay. Uh, what I mean is, again, it's a so bad it's good type of, right? So isn't it like a teenage camp? Kinda? Yeah, it's like a teen 90s movie. Yeah, the dad decides he's going to do something nice for this strange son they have who's never seen the world. And James was so enthralled by TV shows and movies and uh, on, the DV, on the VCR that he takes him to a movie. They go to see this movie called Hockey High. And, and James is just in reverence the whole time. He's got these orgasmic eyes as he's watching the screen and walking through the cinema. And it's funny because I just did a podcast on Last Action Hero, which is all about this kid who lives in the world of movies. And it's so evident here as well that James is just amazed. There's this whole culture about movies and people creating stories. And I know as an artist yourself, you, that calls to you a bit when you watch these scenes. Oh, certainly. Absolutely. Yeah. It really reminds me of being a young child and going to the movie theater and really just being, yeah, enthralled by the movie magic on the huge screen yeah. and just seeing things for the first time. And again, this is all new to James. He has no idea that this is a viable career option for anybody, that you can make things. Right. And so from this point on, for the whole rest of the movie, that's James's thing. He's going to continue the Brigsby series that ended when his uh, felon father was so unjustly pulled away from him and Brigsby stopped. So James is like, well, I can make my own Brigsby now. So he's going to, this is, he's single-minded in his purpose. That's all he cares about the rest of the movie. Everything else will be secondary. You know, it's it's in addition to he wants to uh, do Brigsby because that's such a big part of his life. He wants to make more episodes. Is that he needs the story to continue? He does because it left off on a, you know, cliffhanger. On a cliffhanger, as <laughs> episodes always do. Uh, and he simply cannot bear to not know how it ends. Which I can totally. I mean, can you imagine our favorite shows? If you just you know mid. I mean, I don't know. I've never really watched a show that I can think of that cut off mid-season can you can you think i don't know can you think of something where it just it just got canceled or you know an actor died or something like that and the show just stopped and you never know how it ends <laughs> i've never personally done that because what i do is i wait until a show's been on a couple years and right. then i catch up on it so sure, sure, I, sure. I never i've never got burned but i know there have been shows like that and again that's that's the underlying humor in this movie again these aren't laugh out loud jokes in this movie but that's the underlying humor you kind of have to think about it for a second that James's whole world has been ripped apart. His parents are gone. His beloved, you know, his bunker's gone. He's living in this world with strangers. All he cares about is that he's mad that Brigsby's on a cliffhanger. <laughs> like that's right. he, no, he totally. doesn't care about the bigger picture that everyone else cares about. He's like, but what's next? What's in Brigsby episode 754? And there's a fantastic scene here where they meet the uh, psychologist. A psychologist has been assigned to him, and this is Claire Danes, and she doesn't get to do much in this movie, but this is a fun scene where uh, 
she's explaining to James what happened. You know, you were abducted. These were sick people that uh, <laughs> ran this TV show. And your dad, every day, would put on a gas mask to fool you, then go outside and make this Brigsby show in a TV studio. And I love that the message that Briggs, that uh, James gets out of this is he's supposed to be horrified. And they're all watching right. and waiting for this horrified reaction. And James is like, my dad got to go there? Yeah. Like, no, James, this isn't real. There was nothing there. Like, he went to go, and he played Brigsby. Like, he actually went and made all the episodes. And then they're waiting for him to be sad. And James, of course, busts out a, yes, my dad, my old dad, he knew Brigsby. And they're like, no, no, that's not the lesson no. here. Well, my favorite part about that is, well, one, I love that the, you know, as psychologists tend to do, she's talking so sensitively. Mm -hmm. You know, she's like, James, there's something we need to talk about. She's talking very slowly, you know. And then I love that after, you know, as you said, like waiting for the reaction, everyone's looking dead at him. And there's a good, I want to say eight seconds of silence. And James actually looks, he looks very, he's deep in contemplation he looks like he's about to say something very deep. <laughs> and yeah, and then he just busts out with that excitement. And I, I, I just love that type of comedy. Again, it's totally going against any expectation about human behavior. That is completely contrary to any anything we know about human psychology. That is contrary. Yeah, and this is where we learn some other stuff. Where, again, some of the underlying darkness in this movie where – where James is where they, they keep explaining, no, this was a fictional show. There is no Brigsby Bear. And right. James is like, well, I, I have friends on the Internet. I talk to them. And, uh, they're, and they're like, no, there was no Internet. That was an intranet. That was an internal server. All the people you were typing to and talking to over the year, those years were your parents pretending to be your friends. Like, they're just mm -hmm. lying to you. And, and James is like, you mean Brigsby, one, Brigsby Boy 1? And Brigsby Boy 2 and Brigsby Boy 3, and they're like, those were all your father. <laughs> I, I love the yeah, and I love the uncreativity of those names. I know, Brigsby they... Boy 1. <laughs> what about Brigsby Girl? Well, I'm probably sure that was your mother, James. <laughs> but yeah, well, again, the, his whole yeah. life is upside down, and all he's gotten out of this is that people yeah. can make TV shows. He's the, the only lesson, oh, and again, yeah. it's kind of the, the Rain Man school of comedy, that a right. character can have no arc through the movie, and everyone else just has to react to them. Yeah, as, as I disagree with, he has an arc, but that's where we... Oh, personality. We'll, pers we'll get to that. Yeah, his personality yeah. does not change. Right. Yeah, no, his per personality does not have to change. A person's <laughs> personality... And yeah, that's actually a really... That's unique. I mean, that's special. What's really interesting is I, I remember watching it and, uh, you know, trying to piece what happened and what his circumstances were, and you get little nuggets of information scene by scene. And, you know, in the psychologist scene, you really get a lot of really, again, really dark information and so as, an, as a viewer. Um, and Kyle does not, or James does not talk in this scene for a good while. It's just the psychologist and the parents giving the information after information. And just as a viewer, you're just, oh my God, that's horrible. Just, you know, it's so bad. And then, yeah, the the bait and switch of that him, him having a completely excited reaction. <laughs> such a, God, such an interesting emotional uh, experience internally. Yeah, we're going to just, it's in a different scene, but it kind of follows the logic of this scene where uh, later in the movie, James is going to meet a girl and she's going to say, hey, have, have you ever been with a girl before? And this is maybe the darkest line I have ever heard in a movie. And you know what? I think you know which one I'm going to say here. Uh, yeah. yeah. She's like, have you ever been with a girl before? And James will say, uh, yeah, uh -huh. one time on the internet. And then he pauses and goes, but it was really just my first parents playing tricks on me. <laughs> so his mom and yeah, his dad were cybersexing with him at some point. 
Uh, oh God. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the darkness in this ju- in this movie, and they don't they don't linger on that. You just have to think about that for a second. Like, what the hell are these people doing to him? <laughs> Well, what's so good is that, you know, consistently with these really dark comedy lines, again, James says it so earnestly, and then typically the other character he's speaking to will just be stunned in silence. <laughs> and it's great because as a viewer, you get that time to really piece it together, like, oh my god. Yeah, that one was his for parents, you. <laughs> yeah, his parents are sexting you. Okay. Um, just yeah, one time, though. I mean, in their defense, it says there was only one time that they cybersexed with him. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I love it, man. Well, yeah, and let's uh, let's not gloss over the the party scene in general. Okay, yeah, we'll get there. Okay, so what happens now is James is single-minded and focused. He does not really understand this world. He kind of grasps now that Brigsby was fake, even though he doesn't want it to be fake, and he's he's going to hop in and out of whether it was actually real or not. But anyway, he's decided he's going to make his own movie, and this is one of the, the wonderful little running gags in this movie where James doesn't know how to do anything, so he'll, he'll always go to Google. <laughs> That is how James learns about the world. How do I make my own Brigsby movie? How do I come up with cool fight scenes? And then there's a little thing like he'll put thank you at the end, like he thanks Google. <laughs> like, how do I make cool explosions for a movie? Dot. Thank you. And that's his Google search. <laughs> that's great. Uh, so clever. Okay, where are we? That. Yeah, so uh, he starts storyboarding. His room is just, within within two days, it's it's covered with storyboards and ideas for his Brigsby movie. And the parents are like, you know, you want to play basketball? And he's like, no, I have to do this. This is way more important. So they don't really get how they're going to relate to this poor kid. And well, is, it, is kinda, it, it is kind of sad because, yeah, you know, his dad asked him, you know, his dad is so eager to have his son and to be a dad. And, you know, he asked him if he wants to play basketball and James kind of, really, you know, he he kind of agrees to it, but doesn't really want to do it. And they play for a little bit, and, and after a couple baskets, he's like, "Um, can I can I go back to my room and make the movie?" <laughs> yeah. And it's so sad, you know, because and you see the disappointment on the dad's face. He really, he's he really trying. wants. Yeah, he's trying. He really is. Yeah. He's trying his best. Although I have to say, the moment of physical comedy of Kyle Mooney trying to throw a basketball is one of the funniest uh, things. This, he's like a, wimp, uh, a wet, limp noodle. Like, he, he can barely even get the ball over his head, let alone into the basket. <laughs> he's like a piece of veal. He's never gone outside or done anything ever. Okay, so speaking of going outside, this is where uh, James is going to go to his first party. It looks like his sister has been tasked. The parents have said, you know, James is having a hard time fitting in. Why don't you take him to a party or something with your friends? So yeah, this is where James is going to start getting human lessons, where you basically right. watch other people and he just mimics them, where James meets all these cool young people and he goes to a party and they're like, hey, you want a beer? And he's like, yes, I would like one of that. Like he has no idea what a beer is. He just he just thinks it would be good that he should take one. And then there's a part at the party where James has this icebreaker where uh, <laughs> at one point he's trying to think about something to have a conversation with these teenagers. And again, James is like 30. He's a good 15 years older than these kids. <laughs> And his, his icebreaker line is, my parents stole me when I was a baby, but I still think they're pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, and, all the, and all, all the kids are looking at each other through the side, sides of their eyes like, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, but this is, what, this is why I think this movie is special, though, in that James goes to this party. He's clearly this freak. He's way older than everyone. They all know who he is from the news. And, but they're not mean to him and they don't mock him. And that's why I think this movie is so special is that there's not really any mean spirited cynicism in it. Like they just take him at face value. They're like, Hey, this guy is, he's the guy from TV and he always talking about Brigsby and, and James starts talking to them about this Brigsby universe. That's the only thing he knows. And they think it's fascinating. 
although I'm sure it's helped by the fact that they're all on ecstasy or pills or drunk at the time. Yeah. But as soon as, yeah. but yeah, sooner or later, they're quickly they are buying into his mythology, and they're like, "Oh, that's cool, so cool! Tell us about the Swordist Crystal." And James is like right. a pig rolling around in shit at this point. He's like, "Yeah, these white guys want to hear about Brigsby." So all of a sudden, it's this meshing of all these teens kind of humoring him and just playing along, and James loves it. Like they want to hear his story. So this is like the first time he's really been happy. He's found kind of a peer group. Absolutely, yeah, and I love the relationship that he has with his friend Spencer. Really sweet relationship, yeah. and Spencer um, has been wanting – he really wants to be a filmmaker, and it's just its just amazing how – I mean, and Spencer is clearly you know, a cool guy. He's clearly someone who seems popular, not someone that you would ever expect to be friends with such an odd character like James, and I just – I always love – friendships that are very uh, with two very different people and how they interact and i think that their relationship is really sweet yeah the actor who plays spencer is good and again spencer this girl meredith and aubrey his sister pretty soon they're all gonna kind of uh rally around james they realize he's odd and he likes having them around and it's funny you just see james uh imitating them like they'll say something like oh that's dope <laughs> as shit and then james starts saying oh that's dope as shit or Hey, that's cool, bro. And he'll say, yeah, that's cool, bro. So yeah, so pretty yeah. soon they're kind of rallying around him and he's explaining, you know, I'm making a movie and they're all like, oh, can I be in it? Just kind of humoring him. And he's like, yeah, you'll be in my movie and you'll be in it. So it's like, it becomes this really cool thing where they're like, they're just going to accept his nerddom and go with it. And they're just, and that again, that's not a thing you would see in most movies like this. A lesser movie would turn it into a comedy where they mock him. And no exactly. one's going to mock James the entire rest of the movie. They will play it completely straight. And they like they they root for him to succeed. And it's so cool here. It's so cool. Yeah. And I and I um, I think at this point, I believe the detective, Detective Vogel, uh, who I think is a really great character, starts coming in and uh, he does some pretty illegal stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think I think this character is awesome. I really appreciate he was such a ref I've never seen a character like him. Exactly. Yeah. This is Greg uh, Kinnear. Very, Greg Kinnear. Yeah, great. And, uh, you know, so what happens is is that he actually goes into the evidence vault, which is super classified. Again, this is a very – this is a huge case. And, I mean, when you have a huge case like this, you know, it's very important that everything is kept very in line. And so the fact that he actually goes into the evidence vault – which is super illegal, and he gives James the props directly from the show. Uh, I just think, you know, again, the rooting, this detective who in any other movie would not be rooting for James uh, goes to such far lengths to help him out is so heartwarming and so sweet. Yeah, it's really neat because, again, Detective Vogel, again, played by Greg Kinnear, is a failed actor. He used to act before he went into uh, police work, <laughs> and this comes up where where James actually says something poignant. And again, James, single-minded. He has no ulterior motive at any point in this movie. He's just trying to make his movie. But he's like, he finds out that Detective Vogel used to act. And James just says, you know, almost with the innocence of a child, he's like, you know, it's very sad. You don't get to do what's important to you. And mm -hmm. Vogel kind of cracks. He kind of feels bad about that. And then I love that James is still selling this idea, you know, I need to make a movie. And James is like, let me explain to you what I'm trying to do. Imagine there's a hero. Only he's on the good side. And the de detective's like, yeah, I kind of know how movies work. And James is like, but the, and he's not on the bad side. He's a good guy, and he, he teaches lessons, and he teaches us how to be the best version of ourself. And Vogel's like, yeah, I get it. So anyway, Vogel pities him. Vogel starts giving him the props. And this is where we get a another one of my uh, favorite scenes in the movie. There's so many little 
laugh out loud scenes. Again, it's not a straight comedy. I would say this is maybe it's hard to say if this is a drama, a comedy, a fantasy, what it is really. I would call it I like this classification a lot. I would call it a dark dramedy. I think it I think it has some drama and I think it has a good bit of dark comedy. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. So so we get the scene yeah, where Vogel goes to the house and the parents are trying to dissuade uh, James from doing all this Brigsby crap. But the detective right. shows up at the house with all these props that he's stolen from evidence <laughs> to give to this poor kid. And, and I love this scene where, like, James is so excited, like, the sword is crystal. You got me the sword is crystal and the Orteb staff. And then, like, uh, they gives him Brigsby's head, which is really for its – the, the, the head that they used for Brigsby the Bear in the TV show, it was like an old Teddy Ruxpin where you could record dialogue and put the, mm-hmm. the cassette tape in the back of the head and the Brigsby would say it. So, like, Kyle's face just drops when he sees that Brigsby's there. And mm-hmm. here's the one of the biggest laughs in the movie where the dad comes out and he talks to the detective. He's like, um, you know, we're trying to dissuade James from doing Brigsby. We don't think it's keeping him in the realm of reality. And right after he says that, James walks by and sees a big old uh, green carpet and he's like, Brizzle Wizzle, what? <laughs> funny little moment. I, I defy someone not to laugh at that scene when James right. nerds out over getting a apparently a Brizzle Wizzle, which we learn is the most powerful Wizzle unless he works with Tizzle. So just for those of you scoring along, along at home. Right, and also I love that the props are clearly makeshift props. Yeah. <laughs> They're just stuff around the house that was, you know, bedazzled or put something on them. and <laughs> You know, it's just a damn carpet. What? Um, but again, that you know, the power that something has when something means so much to you, the power that these props have for him are really uh, special. Yeah, and again, he's not overplaying this in a comic way. This is like, the humor in it is that he's so excited to see these props. Like, this is James's world. Oh my right. God, the actual Brigsby props. So yeah, so uh, <laughs> there's another line in the scene that I love where the sister comes up and she's like, what is wrong with you? And James is like, well, I was abducted. I feel like that has something to do with it. <laughs> yeah. So he starts making this movie and all of Aubrey and her friends, Spencer and Meredith start coming around and Spencer, the, the cool kid who decides he's going to take James under his wing, apparently has this interest in graphic design and graphic arts mm-hmm. and special effects. So he says, I can do this. I can help you with this. And they, they kind of rally around James and to the thing where they go out and they, in, in, in the, and they go camping this group and they start making the movie and filming it. And, it's just really sweet, and this whole little uh, uh, section is just really sweet of them just starting to put together this movie just to help this poor kid out. Although there's even some darkness in here where at one point they kind of mention what's the plot of the movie going to be, and James says, well, it's going to culminate in Brigsby defeating Sun Snatcher, and then he's going to break his parents out of space jail because what they did wasn't even that bad. <laughs> like, mm, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's some psychological stuff still going on here. Well, I wanted to say that uh, before they go on the camping trip and start filming, uh, Spencer... Uh, without, I don't think he even tells James. I think he just uploads the uh, episodes to YouTube. Yeah. And I think I think that's a really cool section uh, where it instantly becomes a smash hit. Yeah. It's almost uh, like an ironic the... smash hit at first. People are like, what the hell is this show? And then they start right. to like it. And all of a sudden, Brigsby starts right. becoming a thing, like a viral thing on the internet. Oh, yeah. It's become to the point where he's even getting recognized in the supermarket. I think that, yeah, that's just so cool. It instantly, and I think that that I I think what I love about it is is that you know it's a children's educational TV show. I mean it's lame, you know, in a lot of ways. But I think that people, the characters within the film, are connecting to the human element. I mean, there's just such a heartwarming element within the Brigsby Bear TV show that people are connecting to. And I what it made me feel like was even watching 
not even being in the room, but even watching it as a viewer, there was an element of uh, bringing back to my childhood to simpler days mm-hmm. when you know things weren't so complex and you had such little worries and in general people were kinder to each other. People didn't have ulterior motives. Yeah. I was going to say, it's so funny that we talk about this movie where there, nobody has an ulterior motive, despite the fact that it's based on kidnappers having an ulterior motive right. and, and creating the most sweet, gentle children's program as a way to psychologically control their kidnap victim. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try balancing that one out in your head psychologically. Well, and that maybe this the, I can I can um, curtail this conversation to later. But I think there's an interesting dynamic where a, for me. Uh, it's not really talked about, but my theory on this is that um, the mom kidnapped yes. James without uh, – I don't know if it's explicitly stated. Maybe it is. It is. Without – yeah, okay. So the dad had nothing to do with the kidnapping yeah. but was forced to go along with it. Mark Hamill does yeah, admit that when they meet in the jail later. He says mm, it was your okay. mom's idea. Right. And so uh, you know, what's he supposed to do? You know, Is he going to rat out his wife? Um, you know, What does that do for him? So – I how I perceive it is I truly think that Mark Hamill's character, the dad, is really trying to do what he thinks is best, considering the horrible circumstances. Mm-hmm. And that is so, God. I mean, that's such a complex thing, you know, because ultimately, yes, he is contributing to the brainwashing, kidnapping, and hosting, really keeping hostage of James. Yet he's trying to make the most of it. He's trying to. You know, he really doesn't have a lot of options. And you never get the because, sense that they mistreated yeah. him. I mean, other yeah, than the exactly. obvious cyber sex scene, which I still think is hilarious. <laughs> but, yeah, you never get the sense that they were doing it maliciously. They really wanted a child. And I think they were doing their best under the circumstances to give him education, arts, and things like that. So it's yeah, it's a very complex movie. And I've seen some criticism of the movie that it doesn't delve into that darkness part enough. It kind of sticks with the whimsical, gentle, sweet-hearted part, which... I think was the correct move. I don't think it, it needed to be dark and cynical, but that underlying tone is definitely there if you want to think about it. No, and I, I, I think in response to that criticism, I I mean, I think, I don't know this, but as someone who's very interested in psychology and studying it right now, you know, there is Stockholm Syndrome, and there is a lot of various really interesting psychological effects that I encourage people to look into. The brain adapts itself. I don't want to get too into the psychology, but the brain adapts itself to its circumstance. And particularly when that's all you know, of course you're not going to have a cynical view about it because that is your reality. And so for, to compare it to you know Room, it just isn't fair because it's a completely different set of circumstances and the character has a very completely different perspective. Yeah. So I truly feel that James – I don't think that James's characterization is put on at all. I think it's actually very genuine. Yeah, it's, and then I agree with you in a sense. It's It would have been a different movie had you approached it a different way, but yeah, it's – well, he was a kidnapped victim. He was very much a son that they tried to raise the best that they could, and he he respects that. That's the thing. He never loses respect for his for his kidnappers throughout the movie. He still calls them his first parents or my old parents. Like that's the mm-hmm. thing. He still has a love and respect for them. And there's one hilarious scene right at the end that we'll talk about. But anyway, let me uh, get to uh, we'll, we'll kind of get to the end of the movie here so we can talk about sure. it. Sure. Yeah. So they're making the movie, and uh, they're making the Brigsby movie. And there's a scene that I always love where James is trying to figure out how to make a cool explosion for his Brigsby movie. <laughs> and he basically becomes the Oklahoma City bomber. He figures out how to make an ammonium nitrate bomb. <laughs> Again, it's very dark. I remember I'm watching that scene and they don't spell it out. They just see him buying all this uh, fertilizer and nitrate. And he's just got this smug little grin on his face. I'm like, holy crap, he's doing Oklahoma City here. He's going for the fertilizer bomb. 
So he uses that. He blows up a bomb. He gets arrested. And basically, uh, eventually the parents start worrying about him. He's spending way too much on this. He's not living in reality. He's not adjusting back to society. And it really is capped off that explosion where he sets off a fully uh, domestic terrorist bomb in a field. And then at one point he tries to track down, and this is where it gets really kind of interesting psychologically, mm-hmm. where he tries to track down the actress that played the Smile Sisters, Ariel and uh, what was the sisters? Nina. Name? Ariel and Nina, yeah. So in the Brigsby Bear TV show, there was these two little girls that grew up on the show and became young women, and James apparently grew up being in love with them, the Smile Sisters. <laughs> so he tries to track down this girl who was used in his propaganda video to brainwash him all these years, and this this may be the best scene in the movie where he kind of tracks down this lady who she's a uh, mm-hmm. a, a, a coffee shop waitress, and he's mm-hmm. like talking with her, and it's clear he's not in the real world. He doesn't grasp that she's not. Ariel and Nina smiles and she's just heartbroken for him. She's like, she cannot believe that she was roped all these years into putting on this TV show for a little kidnapped kid. She thought it was for public access. So it's a very Canadian public access, Canadian, of course. Yeah. So it's a very heartbreaking, heart wrenching scene between two really good actresses. And I wish I, I I wish I knew her name. She's a very well respected uh, indie actress and she's so good in this. And just the scene where she has to read uh, James's face, realizing that he doesn't get the, the difference between fantasy and reality. It's a very sad little scene. And he kind of ends by saying, you know, I've been in love with you my whole life. And, and then the cops come and pull him off. They realize that he has been stalking her. So he, he basically gets sent off to a mental institution. And it's kind of sad, but it's like you can just see his, his struggle with reality is always going to be a problem here. He just doesn't get the big picture. Well, yeah, and I think there's an interesting component where – all of the other characters in Brigsby seems like were, you know, either in full body Brigsby costume, the sun, special effects or some kind of effects. They weren't humans. Mm-hmm. They weren't realistic. And that those the Smile Sisters, at least from what I can tell, seem like the only really human characters. So that was his view of humanity in a way. Yeah. That was uh, the Smile Sisters were his connection of besides his parents of seeing humanity. And yeah, the fact that he, you know, he fell in love with her. Yeah, like they show episodes where the small sisters are young girls, like five, six or something like that. He grew up. So, I mean, and right. I mean, and this actress has been doing the show for 15 years. Yeah. No more. Oh, my gosh. Probably 25. Oh, my God. And he even tells her in one of the most heartbreaking moments, he's like, you know, all those years, you were all I had. You were the only. Oh, yeah. That's the thing. That's that's where you start crying in this movie. because It's like, oh, my God. And he you can. It's almost sadder when he kind of gets the reality. He's like, you were the only vestige of humanity I ever had in my life. You were all I had. And you can just see in her eyes. She's like, oh, my God, this poor kid. Right. I mean, it's this horrible responsibility, even though that she was unaware of what was actually happening. I mean, nonetheless, she contributed to the brainwashing of James. And I mean, gosh, the guilt that you have to have on that. Nonetheless, meeting James himself. I mean, I agree. I think it's acted very well. It's a very deep scene. It has so many interesting layers. Uh, you really feel for both characters. Yeah. Um, yeah, really, really great scene. It's the type of scene you don't normally see in a comedy. That's the thing. No, definitely not. That's what elevates exactly. this movie. And we're going to get another one. Basically, James goes back to the mental institution. And as he's there, he's getting, you know, going through all these treatments and stuff, trying to get him back into the real world. His parents see some of the footage he was shooting with his friends mm-hmm. and how much fun they were having making the Brigsby movie. And the parents kind of. But at this point, they finally get it. They just kind of, 
all right, this is just going to be his thing. Let's just go with it. And again, I went over this in my Cloak and Dagger podcast. Sometimes you have parents and kids that don't really have a connection. It's so heartwarming in this one that the parents and kid don't have a connection. And they're like, you know what? To hell with it. This is his thing. We're going to love him for it. So they start uh, going, getting all the props. They go with Detective Vogel. They get all the props. They start working on the movie without James. And they're going to finish it without him. And it's the most heartwarming thing where James comes home from his treatment and they're all there. And it's like they they finally get it. The world is finally adjusted to the fact that James is just a complete spaz and is never going to change. But you know what? We'll just go with it. And all his friends have rallied around. They made his movie for him. And James is there. And it's just the sweetest little thing that they all finish this movie. And it's the first time he's really been a part of a social group in his life. Absolutely. I did want to say, I, I could be wrong, but isn't, doesn't he break out of the mental institution? He does. I kind of skipped over that part. He breaks out yeah. of the institution. He comes home. <laughs> he sees that they have finished his movie, and he breaks back into the mental institution. But I kind of skipped oh, over Oh, that's it. right. He breaks back <laughs> in. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I at the time, I was like, oh, my God, that's that's going to present a plot hole. Yeah. No, but no, no. no. They, they, they do. It does work, yeah. So anyway, the movie's been finished, and James is going to have a big world premiere of this movie he made with his friends, the big Brigsby movie. And again, the Internet has kind of latched onto the story that the, the James's friend Spencer has uploaded all these episodes to the internet. So like the, it's kind of a thing now people know about this movie and he gets a big turnout for his movie. And this is, I keep saying this is my favorite scene in the movie, but this is the one that really drives this movie home for me as something great where James, before he can debut his movie has to have one last thing. He has to go have one final meeting with his kidnapper, his original father, Mark Hamill in prison. And this is the final goodbye that they're going to talk to each other. Oh, yeah, great. Excellent scene. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll go this one because I've been preparing for this one all day. I have, to, I have to hopefully sell this scene well. So, okay. So Ted is in jail, and he sees James there, and it's this moment of, for the first time since the arrest, Ted has, asked to, has had to face his uh, son that he brainwashed, and uh, you know he ruined his life for all these years. So James is there, and they have this little conversation, and, and James is like, I have a couple questions for you. And and, and uh, Ted's like, well, I'm not sure I can answer. You know, it's an active investigation. I just want to know. Uh, I just want to let you know why we did it. Your mother did it. I just all these years we did the best we could. We tried to give you an upbringing. We taught you values. We taught you the Van Smythe conjecture, all this stuff. And and this is what I love in that James couldn't give a crap about any of that. He has no interest in what Ted's opinion is. James is only there to get the voices for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> James is like, oh, yeah, that's all well and good, but, you know, I wrote this script, and I can't get the voices right. Can you do the voice of Brigsby for my movie? <laughs> and so James is not moved whatsoever by any of the story. He has no opinion in meeting his kidnapper. He has no interest in meeting this guy other than because he's the only one that can do the voices for his movie. And so he pulls out the script. I wrote I wrote the script. This is the, the lines I need to say. And this is what I love is that Mark Hamill one of the greatest acting moments of his life sees the script and he pulls it out and he's like, he's suspicious. He's like, what's this, a Brigsby script? And then he gets this <laughs> moment of pride on his face. He's like, I can't say that I'm not a little interested in how you went with it. So he pulls it out. He's like the proud father reading the script right. that his son wrote to continue the brainwashing story that he came up with many years ago. And I have to say this on a meta level, this movie, how hilarious it is that it starts with Mark Hamill living in a little bunker, just like Luke in Star Wars. And at the end of the movie, he's doing voices. Anyone who knows Mark Hamill knows that's what he does for a living now. He's a famous voiceover artist. So the fact that Mark Hamill all of a sudden gets to go into his Brigsby voice and goes, it was the time of evil and Snun Snatchy was there. And it's like you can just see Mark Hamill having so much joy doing his little voices. And I just love the catharsis that he must have had from being able to play this role in this movie. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's just perfect casting. I can't you – couldn't, you couldn't possibly <laughs> – 
get better casting there. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, so it's not that so much he got his father's stamp of approval, is that he got his father's voices. <laughs> so his voice, his dad did the voices of Brigsby, and the movie's all there, and we're going to have this big world premiere, and... So yeah, all these friends and all the talent and all the people that have been following the story come out for this movie that James and his friends have made. And again, it's the worst movie ever. The ter the special effects are terrible, and like it looks horrible. It looks like some little five-year-old did it on Microsoft Paint. But it doesn't matter because it was a labor of love, and James finished it, and he finished the Brigsby story, and Brigsby defeats Sunsnatcher, and somehow he talked Ariel smiles and acting in the movie. She's there, and he gets to have a kiss with her, which is a very weird moment. Like, uh, that can't be healthy. <laughs> She's kissing Brigsby in the in the movie. And the, yeah. And I just say that before we get to the wrap up here, there's a great line here where uh, before the movie, James is very uh, he's kind of nervous that people are going to not like this movie, they're going to hate it, and he's in the bathroom vomiting. And so he's like in there puking and his friend Spencer comes in and James is like, well, what if they hate it? What if they don't like Brigsby? And really, this is the message of the movie. Spencer says, who cares? It doesn't matter what they think. Like, and that's the thing. Like, that's the thing with nerddom. It doesn't matter what other people think. If it makes you happy, go for it. If you find people to support it, go for it. But anybody who has a weird nerdy hobby knows you you have to go with it sometime, whether people approve of it or not, and that's just what happens here. Everyone happened to approve of James's thing, and they cheer for it, and they give him a big standing O at the end, and he's happy, and that's the end of the movie. A very heartwarming, touching ending. Oh yeah, and this is what I was referring to when I was crying. Oh man, I was pretty pretty. I would say bawling, but one down from bawling, I was very emotional. I mean, it was a happy cry, which is you know tends to be really. You know, those kind of cries, the tears are just streaming down your face. Um, there was something about it, the sense of joy that James on his face uh, had when he saw people loving the movie. Just, I mean, what a wonderful moment. Mm -hmm. I mean, that to me is the definition of heartwarming. Yeah. You feel exactly what he feels in that moment. It's the first um, time in his life he's really been happy and he's been a part of a group, even though, as I've always argued, he's had no character arc growth whatsoever the whole movie. Everyone just has adjusted to him, but he's still going to be the same completely socially inept spaz after this, and he's still going to have problems. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. But uh, <laughs> Let's talk about that quick because we're getting long here on this episode. This is where we differ on this ending here. Right, so we had a conversation about this about a month ago. Um so I agree with Mario. I don't think that James's character arc in terms of his personality is different, but I very much think that his arc is very different. And the, to me, the big takeaway for me is that, you know, we all have these obsessions, but we're, what we're really looking for, in my opinion, with these nerd fandoms is we're looking for connection. You know, the reason that we love going on the message boards and talking about this stuff obsessively is because we're looking for social connection that... To be honest, a lot of nerds tend to not, or just everyone, we all want so badly to feel connected to something and to be validated for our loves because it's really hard when you love this thing. I mean, you know, you love this niche thing, this obscure thing that no one else knows, and you feel so isolated and alone in your love. And through the film, particularly in the when they're filming the film and they're showing it, he has this entire support system, his family, his friends, all the fans – he feels completely validated in a way, and I think the big, the to me, the arc is in how he would go on the message boards before because, and you know, and he, he thought he was connecting to people because that was so important to him to have that connection. Uh, and it was, of course, it was, it was false. It was not reality. 
So to me, what the arc of the film is, is that he went, he always had Brigsby. That's the constant in the film is that he has Brigsby. The difference is, and what makes the ending satisfying and what completes his arc, in my opinion, is now he has someone to share it with. Mm -hmm. So I think that, yeah, sure, he's going to have problems adjusting. But in my opinion, I think that where he's at mentally, uh, where he's at in terms of his life is far more significantly better than at the start of the film. So essentially, he doesn't change, but his environment completely changes around him, and it becomes a completely supportive environment where his needs are fulfilled. And I, I don't dispute that. I think that's absolutely correct. I think, I think that's a very a fun way to look at the movie, and it's a very heartwarming. And if you come out of this movie with a big smile on your face, and you think of it that way, I think that's fantastic. And that's what I think is so interesting about this movie is that I don't think either you or I are 100% correct on this. You can kind of you can look at this several ways. Like, I almost look at this like a like a Make-A-Wish kid. He got his big wish, and everything happened. He's got his date at Disneyland, and now he's going to go back, and he still has cancer, and he's probably going to die, which is kind of a dark, See, I don't... It's kind of a dark way to look. I just look at it. What's going to happen next? Like, I don't think there's anywhere to go now. Right, but Mario, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm interested in that viewpoint because, I mean, it's so clear to me that, I mean, he has so much support in his life. So, yes, he's going to struggle, but, you know... He does have support, gonna have... Yeah. but I'd also argue they're kind of humoring him to start, and like when they finish it, they're like, all right, we did this thing, it was a cool thing, and I don't think no, there's really no, any no, way no. that the friendships are going to continue, because it's all based on see, this one thing. See, and that, in my opinion, I think that's where we really diverge. Yeah. I truly think that the friendships and the family support that he's created is genuine, and I think oh, it yeah. goes far beyond Grigsby. I very much feel that the friendship he has has with spencer and the sport i mean you know with his sister with his parents i think it feels it to me it feels extremely real i think it goes way beyond brigsby while brigsby will always be a big part of his life i think that i very much see james learning to love and learning to really you know seek out support and again connection yeah do you that's what he that's what he wants do you think ariel smiles is going to open a restraining order against him now no, I don't. <laughs> Just trying to darken it up. <laughs> yeah, it's really – I think that is really interesting that, you know, not not certainly not to criticize you. Again, subjective opinion, but I think it is interesting. To me, the film is so – you know, you say it's not cynical, and then you have a cynical <laughs> – viewpoint i'm just curious yeah where that comes from i was just so happy to have a movie on where someone might disagree with me about something so yeah this is interesting and again i, I don't have super strong opinions on this i just really love this movie and i just think there's so many cool psychological things going on about it and and storylines and different you know darkness versus happiness and and is is this actually a good thing that they're humoring him with brigsby is it a bad thing and the movie doesn't even attempt to answer those so it's one of these i just love this movie and just as a work of art, just from start to finish, I think it's fascinating. And then when you think about it afterwards and think about all the discussion points, it makes it even more fascinating. Like most movies you don't sit there and talk about or think about afterwards. Brigsby, there's so much going on that the movie didn't even get into. I think you could talk about it almost endlessly. Well, yeah, and I, I want to say I truly don't think that they're humoring him. I truly think that they actually have developed – I think that these people develop a genuine love for Brigsby. Yeah. I really do. I think so. I I, mean, I don't think they are putting on, uh, you know, they're doing it just for the sake of humoring him. I really think that they are enjoying. I mean, you see the smiles on their faces when they're making the movies again, because I think even despite despite it not being quality writing, quality production value. I really think it taps into that childhood sense of wonder that I feel that we all need in our lives. And unfortunately, 
you know, it's really hard to get that sense of childlike wonder in such an adult, busy world. I really, I, I think it, I think it brings out something that every character in that film needs. So looking at it from a character perspective of what do they want and how do they change? I mean, again, it, it is a very unusual film in the sense that yes, James' personality is constant. But you, I mean, the other characters go through such a profound, yes, uh, such a unique arc, and that that is totally an acceptable way of storytelling. The protagonist does not have to be the one with the change. The environment can can change around him, and I actually almost think, in a way, that makes it stronger because that means that the characters' actions, the protagonist's actions, have had such a significant event, uh, such a significant impact on the story that they were able to could completely change all these characters views and their dispositions and whatnot and again i just the the old curmudgeon in me the psychologist again i'm like you i've studied psychology my whole life i always think all right what's going to happen afterwards all these teenagers are going to go okay this was great we did our little thing we slummed it for a while with this this Mm -hmm. weird guy and they're going to grow up and go on to lives and and adjust and adapt and they're going to leave james and james is kind of going to be stuck in the same place so i always think it was a nice moment we captured the one moment in his time where james is going to be happy but i do not see that happening in the future because everyone's going to leave him now because they will all grow up and do adult things that he does not have the capability to do. It's possible. I mean, I also, I also don't completely see James being unable to develop other interests. Yeah. I mean, that would be a whole different podcast. We could do an hour just on that topic alone. Well, we're going to, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to write the sequel to Brigsby Bear, (laughs) just like they do in the film. And we're going to film it in a garage and, you know, hopefully they approve and they don't sue us. Okay. Only if you can get the sword is crystal, though. I, I, I'm holding out until the sword is crystal. No, I got it. Don't, don't you worry. All right. So I just want to thank Ryan. Thank you for joining me to talk about this endlessly fascinating movie. Again, I am not going to do this very often. There is almost no chance in hell I'm going to take a movie that's less than a year old and immediately say it needs more love in the world. But Brigsby Bear is special. This is one of those movies everyone needs to know, and I just would like people to experience it and talk about it and discuss it and... Again, I'm so happy you got to stop by and talk about it, Ryan, because this is one of those episodes I was very excited to do on Staff Picks. Absolutely. My pleasure. And again, uh, for people who want to reach me, if you have any comments, if you want to talk about Brigsby or any of the movies that we've done so far, you can reach me on email at uh, staffpickspodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until the next time. I will be out there uh, looking for underrated and underloved movies to share with the world. And just remember, kids, if you're feeling romantic emotions, only touch your penis twice a day. Talk to you guys later. (laughs) Goodbye. Remember, it's okay to question the world around you, but you probably won't find the answers you're looking for. Bye!